louder. I talk loud enough that I could hear myself, but probably you can all hear me. Anyway, what I was saying is it's great to be up here with all, up here with all of you this morning, and particularly during part of the series that we're working through right now. I love to see all of the, all of the, the pictures up here from all of you. Uh, they're from, I know that my daughter's got one up there. Uh, we've got pictures from, from children. We've got pictures from adults. We've got all of these paintings uh, on how you have interacted with the series that we're going through. Um, right now, what we're, we're in the middle of a series called One Word Prayers, and we've worked through all of the words that we've got here on the sides. Um, and what we've been doing is we've been focusing each week on one particular word. And so we've done okay, we've done sorry, we've done sigh and help. Uh, we've asked you to spend your time during your week uh, thinking about those things and, and, and actually spending time in intentional prayer each day. Uh, ten minutes each day just focused on whatever word that we're talking about. Now I hope that that's been a helpful thing for you. Hopefully that you've been able to, to enhance your prayer life a bit, uh, that you've been able to, um, to, to spend that time with God, give ten minutes each day. And, and we're going to continue that series again this morning with the word thanks. Uh, now this is, uh, this is probably, if you've been to church for any amount of time, you've probably heard n- n- so many sermons on thanks, it's ridiculous. And so what are we going to do today that's a little bit different than what you've heard before? Uh, what we're, we're really going to do two things today. We're going to take a look at a fairly long piece of scripture, and then, but then we're going to ask ourselves, why is thanks important? And what does it mean? And what, is, what does it actually have to do with our faith life? And so hopefully uh, we'll, we'll be able to do all that all together. Now, uh, the passage we're going to look at this morning, if you've got a Bible in front of you, is 1 Thessalonians 5. It's actually going to go 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 4 through 24. So it's a pretty sizable chunk. Uh, if, you have, if you have your Bibles with you, keep them open because we're going to be in that section for the whole time. If you don't have a Bible with you, there are some in the pews in front of you. So let's take a look at 1 Thessalonians 5, beginning at verse 4. It says this, But you, brothers and sisters, are not in the darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like the others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as the fact that you are doing. Now we ask your brothers and sisters to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and the love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject whatever is harmful. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord, Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. 
Now, like we said, that's a pretty big chunk of Scripture right there. And usually, on a Sunday morning, we don't take that much all at once. Uh, and this, this particular chunk is also very large, with a very small piece of it dedicated to thanks, right? You may, as you're reading it, you may be wondering, what in the world are we going to talk about in thanks with all this? Because really, the only statement in that section that surrounds thanks is in verse 18. It's a short section, right? It says, Rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances. But in order for us to truly understand what that means, to give thanks in all circumstances, we need to understand all the stuff that comes before it and the little bit that comes after. So let's put this little bit of uh, Scripture into context. So we started at 1 Thessalonians 5, which follows, it's pretty easily to understand, 1 Thessalonians 4. Uh, if you were to read 1 Thessalonians 4, you'd realize that it's focused on the second coming of Jesus, right? When Jesus is going to make everything new. Now, that's not what we're going to talk about today. We're not going to talk about the second coming, but it's good to know that that leads into what we just read. So the beginning of chapter 5, the verses that we didn't read, remind us that we ought not be worried about when Jesus is coming back, but instead we ought to live every day like he could come back any time. And so when we get this section, in, in, uh, the first part of this section is verses 4 through 9. And what it says in that section is that there is a better way laid out for us. It talks about this idea of light and darkness. It says uh, some of this, that there are, there's a group of people that are living in what it calls the darkness. And they're saying that we're not those kind of people. We're living in a different way, the way that's been illuminated for us. So this, there's a group of people that can't see this path that's laid out, and there's another group that can. And we're, it's saying to the believers that you are in the second group. That verses 4 through 9 are making a point that there is a better way uh, laid out for us. And that better way, it says in verse 9, leads to salvation in Jesus rather than suffering. So verse 6 points out that some people can't see it, though, because they're asleep. It says that in the darkness they can't see. They're asleep or they're, they're drunk or, or, or those kinds of things. They're, they're unable to see the path that's laid out for us. But it also says that we are called to something different, that God has illuminated the way and he's leading us down into it. So really, we're moving quickly through a large section of Scripture here, but to sum up verses 4 through 9, it says there is a way, a way of light that God is calling us to. And so this passage then says, now walk down into it. Don't be like those who can't see it, it says. Don't, uh, don't, be like, don't live like you're still in the dark, but instead walk the path that has been illuminated for you. So we see, like we said, we see that there's a path laid out for us and that we're called to walk on it. But it also says in this first section that this path isn't going to be easy. The path that's laid out for us if, as we walk down, it won't be easy. It says it requires a soberness. It requires an alertness. And it even requires armor, is what it says. But again, like it says in verse 9, that'll all be worth it. And so we have this idea that there's this former way, this way of darkness, that, and there's this other way, this way of light that's better and that we ought to be called to. And this is actually a theme that's repeated in, in more than one place in the Bible, right? So if you were actually to pick up uh, Colossians 3, it says almost the exact same thing. But in Colossians 3, it talks about putting to death your old self and putting on your new self. It's saying that there's this former way that you were, put that to death, and then put on this new way, which is much, much better. Uh, same, same kind of idea in Colossians 3. You could also flip to Ephesians 4, and you'd see the same concept all over again. This one talks about the way of the Gentiles, or in other ways, the way of the world, and relative to the way of Christ. So again, there was this, there's this former way, this way that 
whether you want to call it darkness, whether you want to call it death, whether you want to call it worldliness, whatever you want to call it, there's this former way, and then there's been this other way illuminated for you, laid out for you, that you can walk down that's much, much better. And so all of these passages say essentially the same thing, that there's this better way, it's been revealed, and that you need to now walk down it, and that's when the hard work begins. Now, we just flew through a big section of Scripture, and we are going somewhere with this in relative to thanks, I promise. But just to make sure that we're all on the same page, this is what we've said so far. There's, we can throw this up on the screen. It says, we've been shown the best way, and then we've been charged to walk that way, and so that, and to walk that way will be difficult. But then it picks up with this next line in verse 11. It says, so, okay, so there's been this way revealed to us, and we're called to walk down it, which will be difficult, but it's worth it. But, and so it says, the work will be hard, but so therefore encourage one another. Build one another up. It says we're going to need each other for this journey. And as we walk our faith, we walk that faith journey together. Verse 12 goes on. It says, we ask you, we beseech you, we seriously ask you to acknowledge one another and live in peace. Again, it's, it's infirming this idea that we're going to need each other. And then finally in verse 14, it says we urge now, in English, the word urge doesn't get captured here well enough because it's, it's essentially saying they're begging, right? We urge you, we earnestly ask, or we beg you, and then gives the whole list of things that we should do, right? Live at peace with one another. Uh, don't pay back wrong with wrong. Inside of that list is thankfulness. So just to reset where we've been so far, and then we'll, and then we'll, get, we'll move on to what this actually means for us. 1 Thessalonians 5, 4 through 11 or 12 says this, We've been shown the best way. We've been charged then to walk that way. The walk will be difficult, so if we want to follow God's path, there are some things that we need to do. And one of the most important things we can do is discipline ourselves to be thankful. Now, I don't think I actually communicated that the best, but hopefully that makes sense to all of you. We went through a big section of Scripture really quick, and we gave it a framework so that it can help hang the rest of what we're going to talk about on that. And so what I want to do now is with this framework that we've got, it's all been pretty abstract so far, I want to talk about what do we really do with this now? How do we, how do, we do anything with this? Uh, what, how, do, how do we actually apply it to, to, our, to the lives that we're living right now? Uh, and, and the really... Sorry, I lost my space there for a minute. Uh, so what do, we, what do we do with this? How do we apply it? Because thankfulness is a tricky thing, isn't it? Because when things are good, thankfulness is relatively easy. As long as we're aware of the need to be thankful, it isn't difficult for us to think of things to be thankful for, right? If I were to ask most of you to, in the next 10, 15 to 20, to the next 10 minutes to think of 15 to 20 things that you're thankful for, it wouldn't take you very long, would it? You'd be able to think of 15 to 20 things easily, probably more than that. Because... It, because if, you, if you're in a good space in your life, you can easily start to check down all the things that are going well for you. But the problem is that's not true for everybody. Because honestly, there, there are some times in our lives that are incredibly difficult. There are things that sting. There are some deep wounds. There, there's, there are times in which everything feels like it's crumbling around us. And, we, and in those moments... Verses 16 through 18 seem ridiculous, don't they? When it says rejoice always, sure, when things are going well, that's no problem. It's easy. 
But when they aren't, how in the world are we supposed to do that? What good would it even do to rejoice in all circumstances? Wouldn't that just make us delusional or unrealistic? Because when things are crumbling, rejoicing seems impossible. And the same is true for giving thanks in all circumstances, isn't it? When things are going well, that's easy. But there are some of you out there right now that are thinking, no way. It's impossible. Give thanks in the midst of this? Can't happen. It's impossible. It's important for us to acknowledge as we talk about thanks that there are times in our lives in which thankfulness is incredibly difficult. And you might be there right now, and if you are, I'm sorry for that. Even in this passage, Paul acknowledges that that thankfulness is a discipline, that it takes work. It's the very reason he needs to urge or beg the Thessalonians to do what he's asking. It's because they're not doing it perfectly. They might not even be doing it well at all. You see, there are times in our life in which we need to work to be thankful. Times in which it takes real effort to change our focus from what is to what will be. Because honestly, there are times in our life in which there is less to be thankful for than others. And it's important for all of us to acknowledge that. Because I think, especially in Western culture, the place that we live, it's easy to be flippant about how, how hard thankfulness is sometimes. Because as we'll talk about in just a minute, there are always things to be thankful for. But there truly are times in which they are harder to find than others, and I think it's easy for us to forget that. Because we have times in our lives in which it feels like the walls are closing in, or times in which, <clears throat> which the things lost seem to completely outweigh the things that are retained. Or the pain of readjustment to a new normal clouds our perception of what actually is. And if you've ever been in those times, if you've ever been in that space, it's easy to think or even possibly say out loud, what do I have to be thankful for? Because in those moments, it really feels true, doesn't it? And hopefully you've never been there. Hopefully you've never been in a space where you can't where you, where you struggle to find things to be thankful for. But if you have, you know that it's real. And for you then, this passage is incredibly difficult. When it says, rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances. That's tough. And this message will probably be tough for you. It'll probably be harder for you than someone who's not in that space. Because what Paul is asking you here to do, what that Bible here is asking you to do, is to intentionally discipline yourself to search for the things in your life that are good and be thankful for those. Now let's be clear. This passage isn't asking you to ignore pain or to pretend that it's not there or, to lament it, or, not, or not to lament it or mourn it or to do whatever you need to do. It's saying in the midst of all that, look for things to be thankful for. Because the fact of the matter is, no matter how bad things are, if you're breathing, there is something to be thankful for, even if the very breath is the only thing that you can find. Now, like we said, if, if you're in a tough spot, this passage is difficult. That discipline is difficult. But be assured that there's a reason the Bible asks us to, asks us to discipline ourselves to be thankful. And I think that's the case with everything that God asks us to, to do. None of God's rules are arbitrary. It all leads us into something better or something fuller. 
And so as we read through the Bible, we see that this idea of becoming a new person, there, 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 that there's this idea of becoming a new person after we found Jesus. We already talked about, a little bit about that. Colossians, it says, to die to your former self and to put on your new self. This idea that, 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 there's, that, um, that there's this newness that comes after you find Jesus. And James, it talks about salt water and freshwater streams, or the Bible talks about being new creations. Or in this passage, it's talking about leaving the darkness and walking into the light. Now, all of these are obviously metaphors, but they describe a real and significant process in the Christian life. You see, Christians, if they are following Jesus, will look different than when they start their faith life. Hopefully, dramatically different. Now, whenever we talk about that, too, some of us cringe because we've been in church before, and whenever we talk about Christian life looking differently, uh, we, hear, we hear those sermons in which we tell everybody that they're not good enough, right? Can your friends tell that you're a Christian? Are you living the kind of life where people can see it? And it's, it's a guilt-driven thing, isn't it? We give a big charge to make sure that outwardly people see that you're different. And that's, now, granted, there's some truth in that, right? That, that we, as we've seen today, that we do have a role in our faith life, that we have a role to be disciplined. But it's, but, but to look differently, to have your faith life change you is not about outward appearances. It's not about putting on a show or a mask or pretending to have it all together when you don't. It's not about force of willpower or, or, oomph to change yourself in that way. And we actually can see that very clearly in verse 23. Now, all, leading all up into that, it does say to discipline yourself to do certain things, but it's important to recognize that the, who, what the, that the agent of change in our lives isn't our willpower, but it's something entirely different. Look at verse 23. It says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. It says, the one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. So when we talk about our faith changing us, it's not about our willpower or our ability to put on a show that makes things different. It's God is the agent of change. It says, God will sanctify you. Now, sanctify, sanctification in general, is a Christian term that not everybody knows the meaning to because it's not one that we use in our normal language. But what, it, what sanctification is, is it's the process of being made holy or Christ-like. It's the process of walking into the fullness of God. It's the process of leaving back the things that are leaving behind you the things that are holding you back and walking into the fullness of the life of God. In other words, it's becoming holy or becoming more Christ-like. And so do you see what that means then in regards to thankfulness? The passage says we are called to the process of being disciplined, but then in the very process of being disciplined, we start to change. In other words, thankfulness might be a struggle at first. It might require you to put real and intentional energy into it, to truly focus on being thankful. But then as you walk faithfully in that discipline, you'll find yourself changing. That what was difficult will actually become part of who you are. That thankfulness will actually become part of who you are as a person. Now, maybe an example will help with this a little bit. When I first got married, my grammar was mediocre, and honestly, some of you might say it still is. That's fine. But there, but there were two areas in particular that were very difficult for me, and it was these. It was the use of is and are, right? When to use is and when to use are, and the use of fewer and less. Now, that's... that's 
from what I, what I can tell, that's a fairly common misuse of grammar, but it was a particularly bad space for me. I used to say things like, there are a lot less cars here today than there, were, than there was yesterday. I'll just read that again so that if you were cringed a little bit, you can do it again. I would say things like, there is a lot less cars here today than there was yesterday. And I actually did see a grammar person cringe when I read that, right? Because that's a tough sentence. It's, if, if you're a grammar person, you realize that's not what you were supposed to say. What I should have said, because, uh, well, what I should have said is this. Uh, there are a lot fewer cars today than there were yesterday. That's a bonus one. The were was thrown in there, right, grammar folks? So when you heard that the first time, the grammar people cringed a little bit. It hurt their ears. Their pro- ears are probably still burning. It probably hurt their hearts, uh, right? And I had great... Great, great teachers growing up. Two of them are actually here, so they're probably cringing even a little bit more. My, my sixth grade grammar teacher and my high school grammar teacher are both here, and so they probably hate the fact that I used to speak like that. <laughs> but why do I tell that story? The reason I tell that story is, is that my wife is, is a card-holding member of the grammar police. It's true, she is. That's, that's how it works. And so when we first got married... Much to my annoyance, every single time I would use either one of those tenses incorrectly, she would correct me. And it didn't matter what we were doing. We could be fighting. In the middle of a fight, she'd go, R. And I'd be like, oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was real bad. It was real bad. And so she would, she would correct me often. And so in the midst of that, I disciplined myself to use those words correctly nearly every time. Um, now, I still mess up every now and then. But years later, I rarely use either of those wrongly. And actually, I'll cringe alongside of some of you who cringed earlier when I hear them used incorrectly. Actually, if you watch TV, you'll be amazed at how often they misuse is and are and fewer and less, right? It's, it's, you think that they would edit that out, but they don't. They're all, they're all the time. Well, the point of that story is this, that it took me years to change the way I spoke. It actually took a lot of work. It took a lot of correction. It took, a, took help from my wife. But now it comes naturally to me. Now, it's a pretty trite thing to change one's grammar. There's an importance to it, but it's not, it's not deep-seated uh, things in your life. But the concept, this, the, the idea of this kind of change is the same thing that happens with thankfulness. The same idea is there. As we work to discipline ourselves to be thankful in all circumstances, to be consciously aware of the good things in our life, and to be verbally thankful for them often, the more it becomes part of who we are as people. Now, in the case of thankfulness, though, it will have a far deeper impact on your person than grammar does because God has promised to bless it. God has asked us to do this, and so so if we work at it, he will change us because he promises to be right there with us. You can throw up the last slide here. So what we see it saying here in, in Thessalonians is that we have been shown the best way. Then we've been charged to walk that way. It says that walk's going to be dis- difficult, and it's re- going to require discipline. So if we want to follow God's path, there are some things to do, and, th- and one of the most important things we can do is discipline ourselves to be thankful, because God will change us inside of that discipline. That as we begin to discipline ourselves to be thankful, it becomes part of who we are. We begin to walk out of, a darkness of the, out of the darkness of a life without gratitude into a life of thankfulness for everything that we have. 
And if you've ever met someone who lives in that space, the space of constant thankfulness regardless of the circumstances, when things are good or when things are bad, you know that there's life there because that kind of person is fantastic to be around, aren't they? That regardless of what happens, they say, I'm just glad that I'm here today. I'm glad that it's sunny outside. And it's not the person that says that and doesn't mean it. It's the person that says it and, de- and deeply means it. To walk down the path that's been laid out for us in Thessalonians, and that, that is true with all of the things in that list, but we're focused particularly on thankfulness today. As you discipline yourselves to do that down the path that's difficult, your life will actually change. That, that it will just become part, so you will, you will have a difficulty not being thankful anymore. Or as you discipline yourself in any of those things, it will become difficult to not be that way because you actually change in who you are. So how do we get started? What do we do with that? And this is where it fits into the series that we're in right now. If we look again at verses 16 through 18, it says, Rejoice always. And then it says, Pray continually. How do we begin to discipline ourselves to make, ourselves, to make thankfulness part of who we are? Each of us can start immediately. As you go, out, as you go throughout your day, pay attention to the things around you. If you notice the cardinal out on your porch, thank God for the beauty of it. If you walk outside in the sun and it's supposed to be a nice day later today, thank God for that. If you make it home safe or you make it to work safe tomorrow, thank God for that. Thank God for your lunch. Thank God for the house that you have and just notice the things that you have around you. And some of you may be thinking, well, that seems simple. Yeah, it, it is. There are so many things that we can be thankful for. And so intentionally thank God for each of those. Now, you can do that inside your head. That's okay. But I would encourage you to go even one step further and actually speak it out. Speak it out of your mouth. There's something really profound and significant when we speak out certain things, and thankfulness is one of them. You see, when the Bible tells us to pray continually, it isn't saying to, constant, to, to, to start each prayer with a constant, Dear God, and amen, right? To pray continually is not constantly closing your eyes, folding your hands, going, dear God, and then eventually wrapping it up with an amen. No, that's not what it means. Each time you pray, you don't need to work through some kind of formula or model. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that if you do, but you don't need to. To pray continually is to be aware that you are constantly and continually walking with God and that you can talk to him. As you're walking, hey, God, did you see that bird? You made that. Great work. Thanks for that. God, excellent work on the sunset tonight. It was moving. God, thank you for the joy of children. God, thank you that I was able to breathe again this morning. And you can go on and on and on. It doesn't have to be dear God and amen. It's just chatting. It's like you have somebody right next to you and you acknowledge it to them. When we realize that God is always with us, actually with us, that he desires to have a conversation with us, the whole praying continually thing starts to make a whole lot more sense. Of course, there are lots of ways that we can talk to God continually. Some of them are already on the walls here. But for this week, we want to charge you to focus, focus particularly on thankfulness. Each week so far, we've challenged you to spend 10 minutes a day in silent prayer around whatever word that we're doing. And so I want you to do that again this week. Spend 10 minutes each day in silent prayer focused on the good things in your life. What do you have to be thankful for? But we want to challenge you to go one step further this week as well. 
We want to challenge you to focus on praying continually and praying thankfully. That as you go throughout each day, you do your 10 minutes in that space, but you also pay attention to all the good things in this world and intentionally discipline yourself to be thankful for each one. Now we can sit here this morning and go, that's going to be pretty easy, but it most likely won't be. You might, do, might be okay going home here today, but at first it's probably going to be difficult. Like for when I, like, like grammar was when I first got started there. It's going to be dif- difficult to discipline yourself to be constantly aware of good things, especially when we live in a culture that focuses primarily on negative things, right? So you're going to have to fight against that. You're going to have to intentionally search for good things and then intentionally make sure that you're consciously thankful for them. But I'll challenge you right along with Thessalonians and say don't do it by yourself. As families, work together to be verbally thankful. Right? When, you, when you notice something that you want to be thankful for, speak it so that the rest of your family can hear, which will then challenge them to find things they can be thankful for. And, they, and then collectively, you can be continually thankful together. Because I'd be willing to bet that if you discipline yourself this week to do that, to be thankful as often as you can remember to be thankful for that by the end of the week, you'll already start to realize how much more aware you are of God's goodness than when you first started. That the process of walking out of that darkness of ungratitude into the fullness of God's life will have already started. That you'll begin to view the world through a different lens, a lens of thankfulness rather than negativity. Because as we've seen in this passage, if you found Jesus, his path has been laid out before you. It's been made light. And so now he calls you to step out into that darkness, into the fullness of him. He calls you to walk, to take the steps necessary to work out the bad habits and strongholds in your life. And then as you do, he promises that he will bless your work and begin to change you. He says that your old self will begin to die and you will, and you will find that you are being remade. You'll also find that there's life in that remaking. So we challenge you to start that process today, right now. Be aware of God's goodness in your life and thank him for it. But then don't stop. As the passage says, rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. And may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, body, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because as you do that, the one who calls you is faithful, and he will change you. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for another day. Thank you for sun. Thank you for, for, the, for the world that we have. Thank you for this space here. Thank you for all the wonderful things that you've given us. Lord, help us to constantly be aware of all the good things that we have in our life. Some of us have an easier time doing that than others, and we pray that those who are struggling to find the good things in their life, that you make them evident to them, that you surround them with people that can help them see where your hand of blessing has been. Help each of us discipline ourselves to be thankful in all circumstances, and then we pray that your blessing be in that so that we become people of thankfulness, that we become grateful for what we have that leads to contentment, that leads to a better, deeper relationship with you and to each other. Lord, we pray all of these things in your name through the power of your spirit. Amen.